Hello and welcome to Season 3 of the E3 Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This podcast is all about building science, healthy homes, architecture, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. All right, welcome back to the podcast, guys. Uh, So 2021 is off to a great start. And today, Jake has agreed to come on the show and talk to you. If you don't already know Jake, you must live under a rock. So Jake, tell us who you are and what you're up to for anybody who's listening who doesn't know you. Certainly. That was uh, that was perfect. You rolled right from our pre-conversation into the opening without. That was very professional, Emily. Uh, I am a home builder and remodeler in Columbia, Missouri. I have owned the company for 14 years, and we focus on energy efficient, durable design, architecturally significant homes. I also co-host a podcast called the Unbuild It Podcast with uh, Steve Basic and Peter Yost that comes out the first and third Thursday of the month. And I am a weekly contributor to the Build Show Network, as well as uh, sometimes I write for Fine Home Building and JLC. So inquiring minds want to know how many hours a a week do you work? (laughs) Uh, I regularly do 12 hours a day, but my 12 hours go from uh, 4 a.m. to 4 p.m. So like I get a full evening with my family without a phone turned on. I don't look at the computer or email after sometimes three o'clock in the afternoon. So I like I get up early and I get a lot done before other people are out of bed. And that's kind of my secret lack of sleep. That is a the secret I think of a lot of entrepreneurs is you get a lot done between the like early hours and when everybody else starts work because once other people show up it's hard to get anything else done. Yep. Um, I routinely only check email like three times a day. Although when you have to look for something or send something, it's very easy to get sucked into that vortex um, because otherwise you don't have a chunk of time where you get anything done for sure. Um, and so you're in Columbia, Missouri. How did you end up working with Steve, who is not in your neck of the woods? Yeah, uh, I'll actually back up to that getting up super early. Uh, I got a phone call, and this has probably been a year ago. I got a phone call from him at like 4.15. And so, that, I mean, that's 5.15 because he's in Boston. But me, it's 4.15. And I answered it, and I said, do you know what time it is? And he said, don't answer the phone. If you're, not, if you're worried about what time it is, don't answer the phone. And then he just hung up. <laughs> And then he wouldn't even talk to you. I was like, that's fantastic. He's like, don't complain to me and answer the, don't, don't answer the phone. If you don't, if you think it's too early. And I was like, oh, yeah, fair enough. You know? Yeah. Uh, In, in addition to that is I think we put pressure on ourselves to, to answer the phone and be available. So I love the fact that you kind of end your day at four o'clock and you're like, nope, now it's family time. Like it's not time to be on the phone and answering these calls. And everybody's problem is always a fire but it's very rarely a fire that needs to be put out mm-hmm. right this minute. And so that's that's really on us, I think, as entrepreneurs to learn what are our boundaries? What are we willing to work and sacrifice to? to I tell all of my clients uh, that my phone goes on do not disturb or I turn it off at five o'clock. Uh, I'm not available in the evenings and on the weekends. And I always go, if, if your house is on fire, I'm not a fireman. Call a fireman. I guarantee it's not actually on fire and I guarantee the problem will still be solvable in the morning. I think that's a pressure that we put on ourselves, right? Cause yes, they'll call you. And then today's modern age of technology, we just expect people to be available all the time. Mm-hmm. But then that means you're never really good at anything, right? If you don't ever actually take time off to enjoy yeah. something outside of it, then. Agreed. Yeah. 
but so like five to seven years ago, I'm not exactly sure how long five to seven years ago, probably I had a client that I was doing a bathroom remodel for and her and her husband uh, had relocated here and bought a condo and they weren't sure what they were going to do, but they, they knew that they were going to go ahead and build a house. They just didn't know their timeline. And uh, I was checking in on the crew at the end of the day, one day, making sure they'd done a good job cleaning up before they were leaving her house. And uh, she said, Hey, we're, we're thinking about buying this piece of property and we want to build a passive house on it. And I was like, okay. And she said, would you be interested in, uh, you know, working with us on that? And I was like, sure. I was like, let's uh, regroup tomorrow. And fine home building was publishing a thing about a passive house that Steve was building in uh, Falmouth. And uh, I, he was the first one that came up and I listened to him talk in the little video series. And I was like, hey, I, this guy seems uh, not like a pompous architect that I could get along with. And I called him and said, hey, I have a client that's interested. And he said, sure, bring him out. And so I, the client and I went to, uh, for like three days, we toured a house in Falmouth, one on Martha's Vineyard and another one uh, in the same area. We stayed down uh, close to Martha's Vineyard on the, on the mainland and uh, clients paid him for a set of plans. Uh, actually, let me back up on the ferry ride from Falmouth out to Martha's Vineyard. The client had to take a phone call and she walked away and Steve unrolled some plans on the table. And I was like, Oh, this is my new architect. <laughs> like I've, I've never gotten a set of plans that had this kind of detail on them and they make sense. And the things that he's talking about are the things that I value and are going to keep me from getting sued in the long term. Like this, he knows what he's doing and this is going to be my architect. And uh, so the client came back. We had a fantastic trip. Uh, they paid him for a set of plans. They bought a piece of property and uh, then decided they didn't want to live where they had bought the piece of property and ended up buying a 5,000 square foot energy hog that was <laughs> 25 years old someplace else. You were like, what? So, no, that has happened. I think to all of us at some point in our career is like you, you designed this really amazing house. And then the client takes a left turn that you just did not expect at all. Yeah. Like it's totally fine. You can do whatever you want. Right. Especially from the architect's perspective is you probably yep. put some time in Steve got paid for the time he put in, but you know, they, they didn't end up building it, but, um, it's always a surprise when they're like, oh yeah, no, instead we just bought this totally opposite of whatever you just designed thing. <laughs> yep. So. And I think that that actually happened twice with Steve and I before somebody built a house with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and you don't usually get pushback from people in your area working with Steve being farther away from. Uh, we did it first. Uh, I mean, we even had a phone call with some potential clients this morning uh, and I think the thing that a lot of people, once you think about it, when you think about Steve is he's really likable in that like gruff, uh, uncle kind of way where he says the exact right thing at the right moment. This morning, when we were talking to clients, he said, ah, no, I'm a nice guy. You're going to like me. And I was like, the, the clients were happy and they laughed at that. And it just comes across as sincere for some reason. And you believe it you know? Yeah. Uh, and he's right. You know, everybody likes him. Same as our cabinet guy. We work with our cabinet guy 
you know, he might cause us a delay every once in a while, but everybody wants to hug him when the job's over and they forget about that delay. Steve's the same way. He's so likable that, God, I can't believe he might hear this. <laughs> we'll tell him not to listen. Yeah, I just, just explicitly tell him not to listen to this episode. But the, kind it's of the like truth. the episode like you guys, I think my favorite on Build It podcast, and this is this is crazy, is the one you guys recorded all about Peter because he wasn't on. <laughs> I think I laughed the whole time. I couldn't stop laughing. Uh, it was great. He, he basically said, I can't, no, I can't record tomorrow. And Steve said, that's fine. We'll do one without you. <laughs> and I was like, okay, what are we going to talk about? He's like, Peter, he's not here. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> It really was one of my favorites. I thought it was, it was so on point too. Cause it was like at the end of the year and like, everybody's tired and you know, it's just this thing. It's like, you know what? Sure. We have a building science podcast. Like I have a building science podcast, but every once in a while, you just want to talk about something. And I mean, granted talking about Peter is like talking about building science because yeah, that's literally his, his definition. But um, I thought it was, it was really awesome. And, you know, back to Steve, I think, um, that's really the quality of a great architect. One, a great set of plans, but two, somebody who's really likable. I mean, it really is the sort of 80-20 rule. It's 80% personality and 20% this the skills that you can learn, right? I mean, they can teach you all of that yep. stuff. And so, especially now, I would think that it's even less difficult now because Zoom is like the norm. Um, so for me, most of my clients don't live in the state of Maine. So I was already doing Zoom meetings and everything beforehand. They're coming to build a house here in Maine, but they don't live here. I live here. And so architecture is a little bit, you know, placeless. You really can be anywhere as long as you're willing to travel, you know, to the job site and, and do those things and, you know we could all learn a thing or two, you know, from Steve about not, you know, not being worried to show up on the job site and learn where maybe you made a mistake, or maybe you did a detail that was kind of hard to construct, right? <laughs> like, yep. you don't know, and you don't want to repeat that again, because, you know, Jake's going to be like, Steve, we're never doing this again, <laughs> when it comes out really terrible. I actually think that that's one of the things that make he and I working together so great is that he has absolutely no problem with me going, hey, that I don't want to do that again. Hey, you know, we don't have to do that. We can, we can drop that. You know, we don't have to, or, you know, he shows up to the job site and goes, yeah, but you know, why would you do that? And I'm like, well, first of all, it's already done. So let's talk about what we're going to do to fix it. <laughs> like, so I actually was putting uh, notes together this morning. I'm looking at my other monitor. I was putting notes together this morning for a build show network video on uh, how to pick an architect. Hmm. And like the first thing says personality. Can I, it's the same thing for an art or for a builder too. Can I spend the next two years of my life working with this person? Cause if they annoy you in the first meeting, I'm pretty sure you don't want to work with that person. It's only getting worse. I know. Um, I probably got a lot of flack in the last BS and beer. I don't know if you tuned in or watched the replay on the last one, but we talked about craftsmanship with the modern craftsmen. Those guys are great too. Um, but I said, I don't do bid work anymore. It's just, it's not good for anyone. Right. I, don't, I just yep. don't do bid work. And um, talking about th that whole aspect of, of not doing bid work is I have my clients interview builders during the design phase one to get them to come on because right, you're going to know things that I haven't tried or I haven't done or you can get something from your supplier and it's like made something way easier. Right. Everybody brings value to the table. 
But that first conversation is really a personality test, right? Like interview mm -hmm. these people, find out what their communications are, find out what the paperwork is that you'll get if you want to make changes or do something in the field, because that's what you really need to know. You are going to see these people potentially every day if you live close by for 12 months or, or longer. And you need to know that you can get what you need out of them. And then I think having the builder involved during the design phase and getting paid to right? Everybody should have a pre-construction contract. You should not be doing that for free. Um, is going to help keep it in their budget, right? So this is one of my biggest problems with, with architects uh, too, is I don't personally buy materials. So I'm not the first person that's going to know that so-and-so window manufacturer just did a 20% increase, right? Eventually that trickles down to us. And sure, there are things that we learn over time are just harder to do. But if you, you know, everybody has a budget, right? And yep. there, there are ways to, to stick with that. So. so I will share my absolute uh, favorite, which means worse, uh, experience with talking about money and things like that with an architect <laughs> yeah uh i got brought in after a design was in place and he said it's a remodel they want to put a little space on there's a deck we're going to bump out the front of the house there's some cool windows and he showed me the plans and i was like this is really cool i like it a lot you know it fits our company uh you know it wasn't energy driven but it was real high craftsmanship and i said what's their budget and he said, I don't know. What and I said, you, what I'm you sorry, what? <laughs> and he said, well, we didn't, we didn't talk about it. I drew what they wanted. And I said, okay. And I left it at that. And I went and talked to the clients. And I said, do you guys have a budget? And they said, we would prefer not to say, we'd rather see where your numbers come in. And at this point, I was already just like, to heck with it. I'll put number to paper and just be done with this. Mm -hmm. Uh I already was like, you know, if I get it, fine. If I don't, fine. And uh, the numbers came back at like $250,000. And I sat down to talk with them and they were like, whoa, uh, we were thinking like 45 to 60. And I said, okay, you can't do anything with the set of plans that you have. Uh, that for that amount, amount. of money. Sorry. That is the that's, first conversation. That's why I asked what your budget was so that I wouldn't waste my time doing this and waste your time waiting on my numbers to get back. Uh, and then I talked to the architect a few weeks later and he said, no, they're not moving forward with the project. They're going to search out another design. And I was like, okay. So like he got paid, but he also wasted his time. Like you would, you would like to think that if you're going to get paid for something, it's going to get built. Well, and you know? he, he wasted their time yep. right because Months. it it took time to come up with that plan and then in the long run it didn't give them a good feeling about building or building with an architect right because we often we should be better at designing to a budget right than than just you know somebody coming up to you and being like hey jake i want to do x y or z right with no plan you're you're like okay well we'll figure it out as we go which is you know hard to do right i mean and so we should be better about designing to a budget but instead everybody just thinks we're expensive and you know yep. sometimes there are things that are more expensive because it's just the better way to do it right i mean it's the same with the build you're not going to build something that isn't durable right 
because yep. you're liable for that, right? So you're just not going to do something. So you just, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> and so we, ha- we have a minimum standard and that minimum standard happens to be substantially higher than a lot of our competitors. Yeah. It's not my fault that our standards are higher. Right. They cost money. Right. And you're also not coming back five years to rip all of it apart because, you know, mm-hmm. you decided to cheap out on something. Sure. Are there ways to make some things less expensive? Yeah, but it's, in my opinion, it's never in my building envelope. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I, I loved when Ted Benson said, you can do whatever you want on the inside, but the envelope is mine. I'm like, that should be how every builder and architect approaches a project is, you know, if we're, if they're hiring me for my expertise, then, then this is what I'm going to tell you to do. And yeah. are there 15 ways to do it? Are there a thousand ways to do it? Probably. Right. That doesn't mean that one way is set in stone, but and from a like uh, a business owner and, and professional standpoint, uh, I think I probably I think I got this from Steve. You're the you're the professional. Act like the professional. Don't let the client tell you how you're going to build the house. You're there to tell them the right way to do things, and you should do that. I get people all the time that are saying like, "Well, how how can you convince your clients to spring for zip sheathing? That's more expensive than OSB and Tyvek." And I said, like, "Well, why are OSB you and that Tyvek." Conversation with them. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm like, OSV and Tyvek is not something I even talk about. I talk about this is how we build houses. This is what we do. I don't go, well, we can do good, better, best. If you want it cheaper, we can go for something that's lesser quality. Like, why would you sell your services that way? Why wouldn't you just say, I know what I'm doing. You can trust me. And here's why. Right. I think too many people get involved in the technical aspects of that. Like it's not your job to be the technical expert and know all of those things, right? I don't expect you to know that, but I am probably going to tell you to spend less in your kitchen and more in your building envelope. Cause if you're going to rip this kitchen out in 10 years, because you put in that Navy, is it like Navy blue and gray? That's like all super popular right <laughs> yes. now, right? Those people are going to be ripping that out in 10 years. And be like, oh, that was a 2020 kitchen, right? <laughs> Brass hardware, Navy blue and gray. It's beautiful beautiful now 10 years from now what will we be doing but anyway that that was a a sidebar but you're not gonna be replacing insulation exactly you're never gonna be replacing insulation and you know the the sad part about it is they're not on the hook for anything so like if you buy if you build a house and you lay there for seven years and you sell it to somebody else and then they find out right it takes a couple of years sometimes even 10 years to find out you have a major issue in a in a structure Mm -hmm. And by that point, have they already sold it to somebody else and moved on? And now this person has inherited it. It's like, why are... Does anybody even know who built it at that point? So, um, and I also think I have... I think the the 80-20 rule doesn't work for real estate agents. There's like 5% good real estate agents and like 95% of them are. So I'm sorry to all of you real estate agents if you're listening, because there are some (laughs) good ones that I like, and there are a lot of not so good ones. Um... But they're always like, you need 2,500 square feet and you need this and you need that. And um, my favorite philosophy is square footage is just a number that the tax department uses to determine how much taxes they're going to, uh, mm-hmm. to, to give you. And a lot of high performance houses haven't been valued really well because I think those people don't move, right? They just like yep. their house. They stay there. It's yep. comfortable. It's secure. It's healthy. So they're just not moving. So it's skewing the whole real estate 
realm because you know if the thing that gets sold over and over and over again doesn't necessarily mean that's what the market wants it just means that's what the market is turning over all the time so i desperately want one of my clients to sell a house <laughs> uh, you're not since gonna we move, started doing <laughs> since we started doing high performance homes as people would call it you know since we started building really well-built houses yeah. uh before we were a, an above code and we did a good job and we tried our best uh but we weren't to the performance standards that we are now you know for the last five years uh i desperately want one of those houses to sell because our market's small enough that it would affect things you know we uh so i'm in my office that's attached to my house uh we built 1100 square feet for aero buildings offices that have like separate entrance and we're above the garage and separated you know we could have COVID over here and nobody in the house would the hvac isn't shared everything mm -hmm. uh but we just we moved in two months ago which means we got an appraisal when we finished the place and i drove past some of the houses that our house was appraised against and i was like that house has not even comparable uh, silver line vinyl windows uh that house i know has two by four walls uh that house has uh this was the one that actually killed me. That was purely aesthetic, but uh, it had an arch top uh, garage door header with windows in the top panel of the garage door that ducked behind the arch top <laughs> garage door. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like I was offended at that, even though I know the appraiser doesn't look at what they look like at all. But I was just like, I was brutalized when I saw that garage door on that house. And I was just like, I know the people that built both of the houses in this neighborhood that were you know, judged against mine. And I don't respect those people as builders because I know what their houses look like inside. And I'm just like, how, how are we supposed to change the system? You know? I don't know. We certainly need to change the system from the real estate on the appraisal perspective. Um, so we have done a five lot solar community up here. And the very first house we built um, is 1700 square feet. It had 20 solar panels on it and it cost $11 a month to live in it. Um, it was, you know, brilliant. And she got an appraisal on it and they would give her zero for the 20 solar panels on the roof. They wouldn't give her anything. I'm like, literally that is the thing that is making it so cost effective to live in yep. this house. But they were like, oh, but the kitchen's beautiful. And I'm like, that was no, what? No, yep. you know, and it just, and since then, there are some things that you can kind of ask the bank for and green appraisers and people who know more about the system. And there's the, was the 829 appraisal addendum mm -hmm. that you can include um, with it. That to did try nothing to, for my it, personal house because the appraiser didn't care. Because the appraiser didn't care. Um, and I think, is it in your market? We were talking, I was talking about this with somebody else the other day. Um, so I'm a HERS rater and uh, we've been talking about you know, they've been talking for years about putting her score in the MLS. The thing is there to do it. Mm -hmm. It's really simple. Um, do they do that in your market at all? I don't know that anybody's nope. doing that yet, but nope. um, yes, it costs money to, to, to do it. Um, and we talked about this, I think on the, on the BS and beer show is, you know, we should be doing this and everybody should have to do it in order to sell a house. And, you know, because that's going to increase the value of some of these others and decrease the value of, and force some people to do renovation work. Although it is a little bit scary, right? So renovation work is, I think even scarier than building new construction that's bad is like trying to renovate something and having like 
no idea what's in there you know yep. like what's in this wall system what's on the outside like it's covered in tar paper like what's behind the tar paper why is it covered in tar paper you know so so you hate I to had, think that uh, it might force people to do bad things in renovation but I had a phone call with a potential client yesterday and she was telling me about the house she was like it was built in 1936 and I basically just said yeah we're cost plus uh because I can't tell you what the project's going to cost and she was like, excuse me. And I was like, I, I don't know what, how they did it. I can make assumptions, but those will lead us down paths that are probably not correct. I can get you close. I'll give you a ballpark and then we'll go from there. And I could tell that she was like offended at the beginning of the conversation. And after we talked about it for like two minutes, she was like, oh, I, I get it. It's not a Honda where they're all put together exactly the same way. It's whoever, Even if whoever they- did this. Even if they are right, I love the um, the the. I don't know if there's surveys or what they've done of like the houses that are all the same that are all built kind of the same way, and then they have different users that live in them, right? And so after a certain amount of time, like one's growing like an inch thick of mold, and like <laughs> um, so occupant behavior is is obviously. But we build houses for people, and I think that's what we forget. I think that's that's a critique against um, some architects, right? I love that you say you build architecturally significant houses, right? That is really awesome. But there are some architects that build things that are super interesting, but the (laughs) the people who live in them are, you know, and we've really gotten on the whole ventilation um, and indoor air quality, especially in the last year with COVID. Um, And there's just so that, I mean, I don't build anything that doesn't have an ERV in it anymore. I don't care if they're trying to get to passive house level air changes or if mm-hmm. they're just trying to meet code. I think it's important. Um, but, you know, that that's only in the last year or two that that hasn't been a conversation, right? Like, I'm just, no, we need room in your utility space for the ERV. And they're like, what's that? And I'm, you know, and then you explain to them what it does. Yeah. And, okay. Yeah. We're, we're, all right. And they've moved on. Um, but like, well, that's what, 99% a, of housing in, in the U.S. probably doesn't have ventilation. <laughs> again, it's one of those uh, for us, like we just don't, we don't talk about it as being an option anymore. And now it's just standard. Uh, I will say all of the thought and planning that went into my own home, we have a like very broad hallway outside of our master that was supposed to be a sewing area for my wife. She's a high school teacher and now she's teaching from home. Well, that is no longer a good place to dump the ERV because it's the coldest air this time of year that's coming into the house. And now my wife, this kills me. (laughs) My wife the other day was sitting with a space heater and I was like, "Mm, this is not the kind of space heater house. Like we we have to figure this out. And I was just like, oh, I, I forget that like, this is the first time I've lived in one of the houses that we built and it is a different animal. Yeah, it's a whole conversation too. And actually that brings up another point. So um, I was at my office yesterday. My office is above the garage at this house behind me. Um, 
the, my landscape architect lives here and she's like, let's share an office. Seems perfect. People always want to come and see these houses anyway, right? Because when they're starting that conversation, they don't really know what any of that stuff means. So I'm like, come check out and see a house that's heated with heat pumps and has a, you know, fresh air exchange system and everything. And we, unfortunately, she has had the worst luck and I feel so terrible for her. Um, our installer, the ERV fan died He's like, this is the second time I've ever seen this happen in 10 years, right? And her uh, her coil on her heat pump compressor is leaking. And so she got a really high power bill, which is what really sparked it, right? Because it hasn't been that cold. And she's like, "There, I have 24 solar panels. There's no reason why I should be getting this kind of a bill. Like what happened? Turns out it's running all the time. It's trying to defrost itself all the time. It can't produce enough heat because it didn't have enough refrigerant in it. And um, at the time we didn't have it installed by the installer that we use exclusively now. And so we had him come over and take a look at it, but it's under warranty with the person who put it in. So we had them come over and uh, the, our installer um, always does um, homeowner education and maintenance plans and everything, which I think is critically important because usually people moving into these kinds of houses have never lived with this system before, right? They don't know how it works. They're not sure what mm -hmm. they're supposed to do. Heat pumps are totally different than traditional heat. Um, so he does that. So he was working on the house across the street that we're building. So he popped over and he was like, well, it could be this or it could be that. And so the other installer showed up and he's like, but whatever you do, if their answer is just for you to live with it, that's not the right answer. <laughs> so, you know, it was like, oh man. So, but unfortunately a leak in the coil, it's like, okay, well now we got to go through the whole system to find out where it's. Yeah, no joke. And, you know, I, she just, it was a fluke, right? I mean, you just, some, sometimes you're occasionally going to get a bad part and that's yep. great. And I'm fingers crossed hoping it's the exterior coil, which we can at least get to versus something in a wall somewhere mm -hmm. <laughs> so that uh bad so that like series of un unfortunate events uh when we first moved in uh i so this house has a high wall unit in the office space that we're in that takes care of 1100 square feet a high wall unit downstairs that takes care of about the same and then there's two units upstairs mainly because we were concerned about cooling that are ducted mini splits and the reason for dumping that ERV right into the hallway is there's a return for that ducted mini split like five feet away, thinking like it'll circulate really well. Right. And so we moved in and it wasn't that cold yet, but my wife was like, this thing is too noisy for me to teach next to. And I like stuck my head up in there and looked at it. It's in a soffited ceiling. And I was like, yeah, it's making like a whining noise. Like, I wonder if it's the duct work. Like if we have something loose in the ductwork or something. And I called my HVAC guy and I said, here's what's going on. And I sent him a video that I stuck my phone in there so you could hear the noise. And he said, you know, I told you when we put that in the ceiling, if we ever had a problem with it, we'd have an access panel that we'd have to cut underneath of it. And we kind of agreed, like, it's my house. We'll cut that if we need to, when the time comes, I wouldn't do that for a client, but, right. uh, and so he's like, I'm going to send somebody over on Monday. And do you want to cut that hole over the weekend? And I was like, dang, like we just moved in and I'm going to cut some drywall out. And it, like, it's my house. I felt more of a failure in front of my wife than I would have a client. And uh, I was like, okay, well, let me take another peek at it. And I pulled the register cover and went to pull the uh, 
filter out of the way and it was completely clogged with dust. I had changed every other filter in the house with that one and I had forgotten about it. I pulled it out and the noise stopped and I was just like, I'm an idiot. And I tell people I'm a professional. Like I thought that I had hit every filter in the house. I had changed the ERV filters. Uh, you know, we have three different ERV filters to change, all that kind of stuff. And I changed, I changed the filter and the noise stopped. And I was just like, I'm fairly certain my wife's not going to give me like genius points for fixing this without having to cut a hole in the ceiling. But it's that, you know, you said homeowner education. I forgot or I messed up and it was just like, I can't win. I can't catch a break on this HVAC system. Well, and I think that's why talking about indoor air quality and all that stuff and having a maintenance plan and having people come back, right? So you move in and then you follow up like a month later, right? Because when mm -hmm. you first move in, there's so many new things. You don't know how anything works. And so like a month yep. later, you follow up, you're like, okay, did it make sense? Did it, you know, and then seasonally, right? Because you should come when it's cooling and come when it's heating. Because I had another client and we put an ERV in, It's you know, it's our practice as our standard, but the ERV installer set it at max volume so it wasn't running and and it was they moved in in may i think and we had one of those crazy main didn't previously in the last five years has been getting worse didn't really have really hot summers air conditioning wasn't too big of a deal and it wasn't really humid well the last five years is just keep getting warmer and more humid and so um and they had a slab house too, right? So it was running a max volume. They're trying to cool it inside and it's just dumping 100% humidity into the house, right? Because it's running at max volume. And they're like, it's like a swamp in here. Like what is going on? And so I call the guy who, who does it and he's like, people need ventilation and they have to have this stuff and everything. And I was like, I asked you for that. I am aware that this is, we need to do this. I was like, but what did you do to the system? Cause it's not like this. And, and he's like, well, they, yeah, they always have to have fresh air. I was like, it's the middle of the summer. <laughs> like you can't dump this kind of humidity in here. Cause it's literally just making it more humid inside. And so we finally figured it out and, you know, had it doing exchanges on a, on a reasonable, I mean, it shouldn't have to run at max volume unless you burn something or you take a shower and you put it on boost mode, right? So in yep. theory, it should be sized so that it runs on low level ventilation anyway. And it was just like pumping <laughs> humid air into the house. Finally, we figured it out, but like, they didn't know, they didn't know what to do with it. They called me. They're like, oh, you know, what, what's going on here? Uh, you know, we, we can't figure this out. And so we went down the chain until we figured out what was actually going on. But like, homeowners they don't they don't know better <laughs> they yeah. don't even know what questions to ask he's like i called the manufacturer but i wasn't sure what to tell him <laughs> we do that uh, uh three months six months one year visit thing yeah. and you know it gives me an opportunity to get back inside the house and look for problems and try to be preemptive and fix things mm -hmm. uh and i had uh, a six month visit with some clients because they skipped the three months because they were too busy they're both physicians they're incredibly hard to nail down. And uh, she said, you know, the dehumidifier has like only recently turned off. It ran 24 seven for the first five and a half months that we lived here. And I was like, well, that shouldn't have been the case because we turned over the house in October. Mm -hmm. Like it should have been kind of dry in here. Uh, and so we spent like 20 minutes talking about it. And I asked all sorts of questions and I finally said, okay, we're going to revisit this after I have some time to talk about it. And like 20 minutes later, we're walking around the house and she says, oh, 
by the way, when you guys installed the dryer, somebody didn't get the hose connected. Brian took care of it like three weeks ago. <laughs> and I was like, oh, your dehumidifier has, has been, been taking care of load. your dryer for five months. The loads in the rest of the house were that small that it could keep up with a clothes dryer dumping into the space. Oh, and I was just like goodness. that. I don't know what that would have been if it would have been, you know, August, September when they were having that happen instead of October, November, December, you yeah. know, but I was just like, I, I tried to figure out everything that I possibly could, but having a dryer come disconnected uh, was not was something not on something my list of worries. You. <laughs> you're like, you know? that's not, well, and even if it was, and you were walking around in the basement, you would have seen it was connected because he fixed it. Right. Yeah. So it wouldn't have immediately, uh, you know, pinged your interest. Yeah. I did a lot of energy audits for a number of years, you know, just walking around and, you know, looking for things in people's houses. And so um, that's why, you know, the definition of what is building science, like when you're doing energy auditing, handling the moisture is the very first thing you do. Like durability is the first part of building science. Like you can't do any of the other stuff. And so, you know, we would have this practice or where they would be like, we need order of importance because, you know, they can't always afford to do everything at once. And I'm like, well, water is your first order of importance. And if anybody had an unvented space heater, we wouldn't even talk to them. We wouldn't even do it. Like, we'll come back when you get rid of that. <laughs> so, I mean. And yet I remember standing at my grandparents' house, standing in front of one with my grandmother when I was cold. Yep. And it's just like, we we grow up with all these things that now we're just like, God, that was horrible. I wonder how much smarter we'd be if those things didn't exist back then. <laughs> well, true. But at the same time, I, I don't know what kind of house your grandmother had, but it probably leaked like a sieve and it was probably freezing. So the ventilation rate yep. was probably pretty good. Although you were breathing wet basement air and yep. uh, dirty attic air, you know, that's it. When people ask me, they're like, well, you know, it's not going to be that tight. Are you sure I need a ventilation system? I was like, well, what do you want to breathe? I love Allison's uh, article. Are you breathing possum? Right? Like it's not leaking from, let me tell you about where the leakiest parts of the building assembly are. And you tell me if you think that's fresh air. Yeah. <laughs> See if you'd be so, okay with us just piping that air in yeah. instead. <laughs> just pipe this spot you know and, and that's why i'm somewhat anti-basement and travis always knocks me on this and in fairness in his area with tornadoes basements are a thing and you kind of need them we don't have tornadoes very often they're kind of not a thing here and i'm like eh, no no basement i have a slab on grade yeah and i'm in basically the same area as travis i have a storm shelter though See, everybody should have Problem a storm shelter. It's the same thing when people ask me if they can have a root cellar. And I'm like, not in the conditioned space, no. Yeah. But you, you can have one outside. outside. Build you a shed. We're great. Can you have this inside? No. My grandparents had one growing up and they had a surprisingly a fairly high performance house for having built it years and years ago. I mean, my grandfather was the first person that had a solar panel on his roof to heat hot water, like when I was a kid. So it was not popular back then, but they had a root cellar in their basement and their house always had that smell, you know, there was like sort yep. of damp, wet smell when you went in there. Yep. It's just like, it always it smelled, smelled like, old like that room. <laughs> it did. It did. So. Um, I always thought that, uh, root cellar the in a under a suspended garage ceiling so you go into the garage to then go into the root cellar and mm. then it's your storm shelter as well it's you know you got a concrete lid 
and then you could do you know slab on grade or uh, condition crawl on the rest of the house and just have one little pit uh, to dig where you have root cellar slash storm shelter and it's still inside so you don't have to go outside in winter to go get a can of green beans yeah or to get to the tornado shelter that's a good idea i'll take credit for that one you can take i've been mulling that, that one over for a while yeah you just gotta get somebody to do one and then you know exactly. write an article about it and find home building it'll be the next big thing <laughs> Um, but I do want to know, so um, I watched the build show on your house, which um, is beautiful. Um, Thank you. How did you end Steve up Steve gets doing, partial credit. How do, Steve gets a little bit of credit. I mean, just, you know, just a little bit. Yeah. Um, how did you decide to do spray foam, though? W- what was the turning point on all spray foam in the house? So it's not entirely spray foam. It does have spray foam everywhere except for the lid. Uh so I would say, first of all, that spray foaming part took place like uh, over a year ago. And I had a slightly different opinion on spray foam at the time. Uh, but like it or not, from a eco standpoint, uh, it's still a really good insulator that does a really good job. Uh, I know that most people will be like, oh, your carbon footprint or... There's potentials for indoor air quality issues. And, uh, you know, we weighed that against what we could get out of the, out of the wall assembly. So I have a request then. So, Mm -hmm. so I get it on the indoor air quality. You put in a ventilation system. You are probably handling any kind of issue, hopefully that you would have as far as that goes. I would love to see you do a blower door test every year for the next couple of years, because I've always really wondered, like, it's great day one, year one, right? But as we know, things dry out over time. And I want to know how well does it stay stuck? And now granted, you're not going to do this in the next five years, because aside from having to cut a hole, maybe to access your vent, you're not going to make any major renovations, but that's the other. So aside from environmental reasons, which are its own thing, um, is as a renovation, isn't it a lot harder to have to dig all of that out of the yep. wall and un- so, unmarry all I, of your stuff. <laughs> no, so actually, those were the two perfect questions that I actually hoped you asked when you brought that up. Uh, number one, uh, our air barrier is not reliant on the spray foam in any way. Our air barriers are zip sheathing in our drywall. So even if the insulation pulls away or starts to have some sort of failure, it won't affect our, our uh, blower door numbers. Okay. Because we weren't relying on it for any of that. And second, I have two by eight walls. We spray foamed before we did any electrical or plumbing. So so nothing's buried in foam. Thank God. I thought about, I thought about all those things beforehand. Uh, I, whenever I think about spray foam and remodeling, I had uh, some clients that lived in a barn, you know, I thought it was just a barn. And he said, we want to add a window here, but it means moving these two plugs and this uh, vent that goes through the wall. And we spent like a day and a half uh, taking out like an eight foot section of wall because we didn't want to damage wires that then they didn't want junction boxes in the walls. And, and they had not told us that it was closed cell spray foam, but it was six inches of closed cell spray foam. And I've never dealt with anything that was such a horrible pain in the butt. So when we foam, we try really hard to not lock anything in. So 
You say that though, and I talked to Mason Lord recently, and uh, I can't remember if he built a Unity house or if it was a passive house or or what it was, but um, he needed to put in a vent fan. I think it was a kitchen range vent hood. And he had to drill through like 12 inches of cellulose wall. I I think that also might be kind of a pain in the ass. Yeah. In the same same respect. If we're thinking of it logically, all remodeling sucks. There's that nothing that's just like pure fun in remodeling, in my opinion. Hey, don't get me wrong. I still like it and I, we still do it. It's still part of what, what our, our business model is. But if I had my druthers, I would rather build a house without a house being in the way. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, we do renovation work and sometimes there's just something really satisfying about reconfiguring an existing space to be functional Problem within solving. the same footprint. Um, that's just really, I don't know, there's something equally as uh, great about that as there is of having a flat section that all of a sudden the house pops out of that you're just like, oh yeah. Um, so I had someone ask me this, um, actually more than once. I don't want to know how, how often this happens to you. I had someone say to me at the end of a project, they're like, does it look the way you thought it would? And I went, yes. <laughs> does, it, does it look the way you thought it would? And they're like, no but it's so much better. And I'm like, okay, like how frequently does that happen to you? And I think I nearly had a panic attack. I was just like, oh my God, this could go either way. Like what's going to happen here? So uh, I didn't know that I was going to talk this much about my personal life. The worst I've had uh, was we were in framing stages and we were walking through this house and I was talking with my wife and windows were like two weeks away and we were standing in uh my kids decided to call it the launch zone, the mudroom, but they call it the, no, the, the launch pad. Uh, and my wife said, what is that? And I said, what do you mean? What is that? And she was like that big hole. I was like, that's a window. Like, did you not know there was a window in here? She was like, no. I was like, well, it was on the plans. She said, well, I don't know how to read the plans. And I was like, oh crap. Oh like, crap. Oh my we're God. building a house that I thought she approved and she didn't know where the windows were. And I was just like, I feel really bad. And, but it gave me a whole new perspective because like how many meetings have I sat in where I was pointing at stuff on the plans or watching Steve go over CAD on the computer where things are in just different colors. And it's like, how many times have we been in one of those meetings and the people that we we're talking to just didn't say, Hey, I don't know what that is. At but least they needed to. At least 75 to 80% of the time, I have to tell you, because I, so, so I ask a lot more questions now than I did with, after that homeowner said that to me, because I was just like, oh my God. They also said, um, and, it was a level of trust though, right? There, there was a really high level of trust and they're fantastic. And I still have a great relationship with them and they love to tour people through their house, which is really awesome. That's, that's when you feel good at the end of a project. Mm-hmm. But um, they also, they knew they didn't have a basement but they didn't know what a slab on grade meant. And so we were digging a frost wall for the, the footers and everything. And um, they showed up and they were like, oh, we thought you were just going to pour the concrete on the ground. I was like, what? I was like, so I pull out the drawing set and I said, this is what this section means. They're like, oh yeah, we had no idea what that was. And I was like, I mean, I guess I don't really need you to understand the wall section as long as the builder knows what I'm what I'm trying to do yeah. and you did understand you didn't have a basement which would have been a really difficult thing to explain if you didn't understand that but 
That was, I think when I started asking a lot more questions and when we just moved to doing a lot more 3D and I, I know, I don't know if Steve did that with you yeah. guys, um, but I, I know I've seen stuff from, from Alexandra and her fly throughs and stuff. Yeah. You've found that that has been critically important because a lot less people understood the plans than we knew. And we didn't know they couldn't understand and we thought they were approving all this stuff and then they stand in the space and they're like oh that's that's totally not what i thought was yeah going on here and it's it's so weird like my wife has a phd she's not stupid she's smarter than i am it's just not her profession and i felt so i felt like i had made a huge mistake like for every time i'd ever talked about plans and so i've you know you're exactly right 3d renderings the fly throughs and just saying, okay, so this here, this shows uh, 3050, that means a window. Uh, that window will be at the same height as the top of that window will be the same height as the doors in the room. Like talking about those little things, almost in what I feel is an elementary way, uh, but trying to do it in a way where you're not like belittling anybody and just going, you know, are we on the same page here? Do you guys have any questions about what the things on the plans mean? that kind of stuff. Like it's changed my approach to things in the last year and a half. Yeah. Since, since she said, what is that? Yeah. It changed my approach to things. Uh, it's been probably closer to, to five years. Um, when I realized that understanding 2d things in three dimensions is a skill that most people don't have. Like when you've been doing it for a long time, you just don't realize that people don't see it in three dimensions when it's, you know, mm -hmm. a plan in front of you. So, so that was definitely, uh, I, I think my husband can see in three dimensions. We've built a lot of things together. I'm not sure, but one thing we have not done is built a house together. People are like, Oh, why didn't you build a house? I was like, you think we could build a house together? What? <laughs> <laughs> That's sort of the joke, it, but it wasn't challenging the first year that I was working on our house. It became very challenging like the second year that I was still it, building our when house. When it still wasn't done, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> did you work more than 12 hours? So did family time during that time include Didn't working exist. on the house? Yeah, because I, I wanted yeah. to feel like that time was like, okay, everybody, I saw your, uh, I think it was an Instagram video, maybe it was on the Build Show Network where you were building stairs with with one of your kids uh, mm -hmm. and stuff. It was like, that was family time. Like, oh, you're gonna, yep. you're gonna build something here today. There was a lot of uh, 16 and 18 hour days for like two years there. What I would do is I would come over on Saturday and Sunday and work, you know, sun up to sundown and frame as many walls as I could and just leave them laying on the deck. And then we would have our Monday morning aero building safety meeting here. We'd stand up walls and then everybody would by nine o'clock would be gone and ready to work for people. <laughs> and it, it just turned into like, months of that sort of thing like i would get stairs cut and assembled and ready to just swing them up and into place and they'd be laying there and you know at that time when i was still framing this we had like eight employees and it was just like okay uh give me a hand guys and then we'll talk about safety like we'll have our monday morning planning and safety meeting uh so it was it was uh extremely challenging i'm not interested in doing it again anytime soon uh, but I think that I would say like, I highly recommend it for anybody in our industry because it gave me a much different understanding of what it's like to be the client. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd done remodeling projects, a kitchen, taking out some walls, bathrooms at our last house, nothing like this. And the, everything from like understanding that like 
our cabinets took substantially longer than what we thought they were going to take. Uh, and they cost more than what we were going to, it's my fault. It's not the cabinet company's fault. You know, it's moving schedules around and that kind of thing. And when that happens to a client, I'm like, yeah, that's how building goes. Like we're trying to do our best. But then when it happened to me, I was like, oh yeah, no, I understand why people get pissed at me sometimes. <laughs> like I have a new understanding of why people get upset. Yeah. I think, um, having my office here in this house, which I designed and, and we built, and then, you know, I'm here all the time with my office partner, um, and hearing the things that she has to, you know, dealt with during that, you know, it, it's definitely a different perspective. Um, for sure. I wanted to live on the water and I didn't, there's not a lot of, um, there's not a lot of buildable lots, one, to build on the water. And two, you know, that goes back to another environmental thing, which is like, why do I want to, you know, increase the impervious surface surrounding our water bodies when I can buy something that's existing? And so I bought a house that actually has really great flow. Um, I'm very happy with it. I made my husband, he says, look at 53 houses before I picked one, right? Hashtag Was it 53? I, was, I said 50. He said 53. He's probably right. He's an engineer. So, um, but hey, that's being married to an architect, right? And so I just wouldn't settle until I found something that I was willing to live in. Um, it was built in the 70s. So we have to do a, some renovation work to it. It had, has systems in it that are kind of at at or attempting end of life, which is good. So it gives us the opportunity to put in different materials. Um, but it has a really good flow. And I was like, I only want to change a couple of things. And then I start getting into it and drawing in, doing all this details. He's like, you literally want to touch everything in the whole house. I was like, it's just a couple things. <laughs> so, but that goes back to what we talked about earlier, which is, you know, indoor air quality too, and the things you should know, right? So I was like, man, I'm working from home a lot and I'm tired all the time. And I thought it was like COVID 2020, like I'm not getting out and exercising and doing as much as I was doing in the past since I was sitting here. And then, then I get an indoor air quality monitor and, oh, the CO2 is actually pretty high in my office. I was like, oh, things you should know, but didn't yep. think of. <laughs> we had that at our last house. I, I noticed that all of us were having some small underlying health things and I was having major headaches. I felt like every morning it felt like I was waking up with a, a hangover, which is not impossible that there might be a few days a year that I wake up with a hangover, but, but not every not day, every day, uh, maybe six out of seven days. How about that? <laughs> but that seventh day uh, hangover headache had me concerned and I bought a like $30 uh, uh, carbon monoxide sensor that I could walk around the house, you know, just one of those little sniffers on mm -hmm. the bendable arm. Uh, and it took like 15 minutes and it was like, Oh yeah, the furnace that we had replaced had a small gas leak and, uh, I took care of it. And then we moved really soon after that. And we moved into this house and, uh, all of my symptoms have cleared up, uh, and I'm sleeping better. Mm -hmm. And it's like, man, it, you forget that it's home doesn't mean that it's safe just because it's home. Yeah. yeah. That it's two 30 and that's probably a great place to end. Right. Cause that's, that's the <laughs> best statement. I have so many more things I could ask you, you know, I could probably talk to you all day, uh, but you, you are a busy person, but I'll come back again. If you'll have me. Absolutely. You're welcome to come back anytime you like. Um, I think that was really the ending point there though, is that people, 
are under the impression that home is safe and we know that's maybe not really the case and so that's and even when it is the case I didn't do a blower door test on this house for like a year and a half because I didn't want to know what the number was <laughs> I was like I'm not gonna do it I'm not gonna do it I'm not gonna do it well okay, what you I'm don't know do can't it. hurt you yeah 8.5 it could have been worse <laughs> and if, if the door was open <laughs> right because <laughs> it's not that big <laughs> but yeah it definitely could have been worth but yeah that that's our our new motto kind of moving forward is to build safe places for people to live because they don't know what they don't know and for a long time we didn't know you know building science is newer i mean it's not really yeah. new anymore but it's no, it's not something that people being do. in the in the forefront is new. Yeah. So and and healthy indoor air quality and how that affects our actual health um, is, I think the the twenty twenty one like new standard of practice. So I can get behind that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really glad that you are happy in the new house. I can't wait to see more on that. I got to watch some more build show network stuff. So I, we got more coming. I, I loved the, the Jake's tour and then Steve's tour of the house. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> Steve and I were talking about that and he said, uh, you know what? I just now realized I never went upstairs. <laughs> like, he came all the way here to film that video and then never even went upstairs. <laughs> I was like, okay, Whoops. well, I'll send but you he some didn't pictures think or anything something. was important there. No, apparently not. <laughs> all the good stuff was outside or downstairs. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thanks thank for you having again. me, Emily. Absolutely. Anytime. Thanks for being a supporter of the BS and Beer Show and all the things we got going on. And if people uh, haven't been listening to the Unbuild It podcast, they should go and download that and watch you on the Build Show Network. And, um, also love your little Instagram videos, which are just like a short section. Although you should probably not zoom and drive. <laughs> I was like, all your videos are you driving down the street. It's probably the only time you have. But I love the little shorts, like the one on, you know, doing change orders and like why that's so important. It's like sometimes when you do all that stuff, you forget that other people don't know that they should be doing those things. So I love those little shorts. Thanks. Yeah. I'll be safe. Thanks for tuning in for season three of the podcast. If you want more information on the guests, check out the show notes. If you want to contact me with a question, a comment, or a suggestion for the show, reach out emily at matramarch.com. You can find me on Instagram, matramarch, or on LinkedIn, Emily Matram. And you can find me on Thursday nights at the BS and Beer Show. So come join us live one week. Until then, stay nerdy. <laughs>